This is episode 173 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 173 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Chandler Halliburton and Neil Andrino on the show. And these guys host a podcast called the Master Keys Podcast. They're based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And if you've been following my show for a while, you know that I haven't really had a whole lot of East Coast guests on. So we dug deep on the Halifax market in this episode. We talked about Canada at a macro level. What's happening? What are their predictions on the economy going forward? Are we going to see real estate prices come down? Are we going to see immigration stay where it is? What are the different factors that play into our market values of real estate? And knowing that interest rates are going up, are we expecting to see a continued decrease in average house sale price. So it was a very interesting episode. And I think it was a much needed discussion in terms of what's going on and and what do we need to be thinking about? uh, Because I haven't done that in a while. On top of this, both Chandler and Neil are incredibly accomplished investors. They're doing a ton of different stuff. They've been doing a lot of burr projects with multifamilies. They're also getting into development. And uh, while we weren't able to dig as deep on that as I would have liked to in this episode, there's definitely more to learn from them. And uh, I'm excited to now know them and be able to follow some of their journey, especially through their podcast. So just before we jump into this episode, as always, I'm just going to let you know that it helps this podcast out a great deal. And it would be greatly appreciated if you could rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen on. And if you're a YouTube viewer, if you would like, subscribe and hit that notification bell if you haven't already done so and leave a comment. Again, these things just help the algorithm get the episode out to more people and uh, hopefully it can help them too. So without further ado, let's jump into episode 173 with Neil and Chandler. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Chandler Halliburton and Neil Andrino on the show from Eastern Canada. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us on. So I don't know any of your backstory um, I know that uh, we're we're both going to be on each other's podcasts, and uh, <laughs> you guys are obviously very busy um, in the real estate space. So, rather than me fill in the gaps here, why don't you give me a little bit of a synopsis of what it is that you do? As I believe you're realtors as well as investors, or just investors? Yes, sir. We're both. We're heavily yeah. in this. So, go ahead first, Charlie. Yeah. So we both sell real estate. Uh, that's kind of, I'd like to say our nine to five, but anyone who's in the industry knows it's our eight to around 11 o'clock at night. Um, but we both had an interest from the outset in, in investing ourselves. And that's kind of how I accidentally got into the industry as I thought, if I'm going to have rentals anyway, I might as well go and get my real estate license to try to save on transactions, which is a terrible idea. Don't do that for people <laughs> who are, are listening to this. Um, and then I just started with small scale multis duplex that I own or occupied, then another duplex that I own or occupied, and so on. Had about five of those, and I scaled up through refinance to get a 12-unit building, uh, scaled up from there to buy 15, another 12, um, another eight, another six, a couple sixes, and then now I'm getting more into land development, uh, which increasingly with those new interest rates that we've got is getting a little trickier. Um, and yeah, so just kind of a few different uh, things juggling up in the air uh, while still selling full time. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm kind of the same thing. I, I started, I was in university and I was doing some small businesses and I flipped my way up and I was kind of always reselling things. And then I got into like, what's the next step? And it was housing. So I flipped my first property, moved into a rental property. Um, and then same deal, kind of cleaned it up, rented it out, refinanced and kept going about two years into it, I was like, oh, like I'll get my real estate license to save on the fees. Same, <laughs> same idea. Um, and so I did. And that business ended up taking off just where the city of Halifax was growing so fast. And it seemed like the pandemic, everything kind of took off. So during that time, that business grew a lot and took a lot of my capacity. But it was fortunate that I was able to take that and, and flip it into more properties. The so same thing. I ended up buying an, an 11 unit, cleaning it up, refinancing it and rolling it through to buying couple more six units another 12 unit on on i have about roughly about 100 units now um and still operate full-time as, a, as an agent i also in the time started a contracting company and the idea there was to be able to service my properties because i was having a kind of a bit of 
I find everyone will face this. You, you struggle to get good, consistent people that can show up at the drop of a hat. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'll start a company that can service mine and my clients. And so I did that at the same time and, and really tried to create like a Saphir and in my own ecosystem of everything in-house so I could do my deals. I had all the connections and I had the people to, to run things through. So now today I'm actually selling off the contracting company and, and focusing on being a realtor and an investor. How, yeah, and I guess with with that, sorry, right. I should mention that like yourself, somewhere along the line, we realize you know we've got this information, all this stuff that we've learned over the years, both selling you know uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate and then investing uh, as well. We thought people constantly ask us for this information, encourage us to to make tutorials uh, that we'd go out and, and start a podcast, much like yourself. So that's what we've been doing of late. And, um, you know, we're excited to have you on as well. Nice. And, and what do you guys, uh, what do you do together as far as real estate investors, if anything, or is it just you're, you're together, uh, on the podcast? I would say we have never crossed paths, uh, with an actual investment together. This podcast would be our investment and there'd be a time investment for us and the financial investment. Um, but really we cross paths in the office. So we both are licensed under the same brokerage mm-hmm. and I think we're both there like on a weekend evening, huffing and puffing typing away for offers and and looking up details and just kind of cracking jokes back and forth and that that ended up spawning into conversation about how a lot of people talk about the online marketing and we know some people who have done it and we also have a lot of clients that are always bugging us to make something because they can't necessarily get us on the phone for an hour to talk about everything so i actually will say i started doing this with another colleague of mine in banking unfortunately banking has a lot of rules and they weren't allowing us to post the content we were making and so at that time then it just worked out chandler also we're chatting about it and he texted me one day and said let's do a podcast i was like done like we're going to do this right now um and so we kind of went from there i think maybe in the future we might end up doing some investing together but to date we haven't actually uh gotten into any projects yeah and that's one thing that's sort of interesting we've avoided the partner route not by any for any particular reason it's just when i was starting out and i'm a little older than than neil i've been doing this for 13 years now the resources that were out there to young investors were, were few and far between so i was left to kind of figure it out you know by myself and and i didn't have any mentorship or partnerships or, or any sort of private financing going the whole way and so that's how i evolved um neil being younger when he got in, there was already these uh, resources and a bit of information. You the do. challenge, yeah, the challenge is with a little bit of information um, that that can be more dangerous than no information at all. Because I was finding a lot of young people were coming to me with these ideas that they had read about or seen online that just weren't applicable to our local market, um, and so. I was sort of surprised to see that. And then Neil was wading through it very much firsthand because he was in that space already. And we both saw kind of a, um, a, a an opening there, if you will, or just an opportunity to add some value, I think, to, to the space of um, call it mentorship, call it training, or call it just the, uh, the, the learning environment or the, the mm-hmm. educational community out there around investing in Canada. Well, there's no shortage of people who want to know how to invest in real estate right now. <laughs> Especially more curious yeah. with, with the current market conditions and, and what to do. And I'm curious, obviously, we can dig into your stories and, and what you're doing and and the size and scale. But, I mean, first off, yeah. as realtors and investors in that market, Halifax, is is it specifically? Yes, we're in Halifax, both of us. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that market. What allowed you guys to do what you've done so far? And if those parameters, conditions still exist? Or how people have had to adapt, you know, <laughs> give me give me a high level view of that. Yeah, we get this question a lot because I, I feel like I've only been in a very short window. At, you know, my, my first modest investment being, I guess, 12 years ago. Neil's been in it for how many years now that you've been actually investing? Uh Technically, I bought my first one about six years ago. Yeah. And already we get questions like, well, it's just not the same as when you started. It's so much harder for me starting in 2022. And I remember feeling the same way when I started in 2010, being like, oh, my gosh, if only I could buy it at yesterday's prices. And there's certainly a changing dynamic with the interest rates and with the purchasing costs right now. Mm -hmm. But I think there's also opportunities in secondary markets and opportunities to learn and be more creative with your lending practices that just weren't available 10 years ago. So are there challenges now? Absolutely. But there's always been challenges. It's just up to uh, inventive people with strong work ethic to find 
mm-hmm. opportunities. I think make them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You got to make them. And I think like this is one I will say like I when I started, I wanted to do it in Ontario and I didn't feel like, like Toronto was attainable for me. So I had to start here in Halifax because the price point was at a point that I could get in and get started and make a foothold. And eventually now today, if I wanted to, I could kind of pull my stuff together and make a move and kind of start working in Toronto. I say it to some people now that feel that they can't get into Halifax. I'm like, well, you got to look at the outside towns um, that are a little bit lower price points. You can get in the same principles apply uh, just on a smaller scale and you work your way up because on the same note of like it's the prices are way higher now. So are the end values. So are the rents. Yeah. So are the like, you know what I mean? Um, so there's kind of that aspect. Um, and also, to I think you're saying asking kind of about the market in Halifax, similar to the rest of Canada. It has grown immensely, uh, extremely fast. It's you've probably seen on the charts in the top, probably top three for the last two or three years now for percentage growth year over year. Yeah. And uh, we were very undervalued, though. Like we didn't have high numbers to begin with when this whole kind of pandemic hit. We were probably an average of like 275, 300 range. And now we're probably at around five five fifty range for price average, so we're still yeah. fairly affordable yeah. for Canada, but it, so it's what, grown a lot. So, what's a bungalow cost? A thousand square foot bungalow somewhere in Halifax? See, this is tricky because, like any city, we are a collection of of parts. So, there's yeah. the original Halifax, and then there's what's the Halifax Regional Municipality, which, just like the GTA or what have you, is actually a pocket mm-hmm. of, of a bunch of communities. I think if you wanted to live in town on municipal services and you were going to purchase a bungalow a thousand square feet with a basement or a potential to finish the basement it's hard to imagine you finding anything under four hundred thousand. yeah okay yeah and that would be fairly modest mid-century construction three bedroom one bath on on the main level maybe partially finished basement Mm -hmm. in decent shape yeah in a decent shape and and we're right we are literally smack down downtown halifax right now middle of the day here so there's very limited traffic that would keep you within say a 25 to 30 minute drive of where we are right now at at, at this time of day so that's still really good value compared to some other major cities but when you used to be able to buy that same bungalow for 179,000, say seven years ago it's been a pretty big shock to people here locally yeah i would say i mean it's all it's all relative i mean i i listen to you say that and that sounds dirt cheap compared <laughs> <to here. laughs> this is what we say to all a lot of locals who are like i can't believe this, I this is ludicrous when you said you can't see it under 400 i knew he's gone i'm sorry what <laughs> but it is like they what it's are they like what, would, that, what, would, what like, would you like yeah. in no. london a few years ago like i used to buy that for like 200 grand and okay, but yeah, yeah yeah but now that same thing in london you know i'd have to check this month but you know it could be 800 grand so yeah wow. and, and also to neil's point about like different neighborhoods like that area that we're talking about was an area that seven years ago people were like well i don't know if i want to live over there mm-hmm. right like so people weren't thinking mm-hmm. that way and now people are looking at that as an affordable alternative and anyone complaining about that pricing now has to think well maybe i should be looking at other areas that i hadn't quite considered right so mm-hmm. um i found opportunity in an area called dartmouth which is technically part of halifax but very much its own thing and when i was growing up certainly people <laughs> looked down on dartmouth the dirty right D. and then dartmouth started to get this reputation of uh oh it's the brooklyn of halifax whatever that means like <laughs> you know a bunch of hipsters go there and all of a sudden the the values skyrocket <laughs> Um, so that was me maybe being just a little bit ahead of a curve and people investing right now are going to have to think about, well, what is this curve we're on now and how can they get ahead of that? And yes, prices have been high. Like this is one example. Prices have been high for the last two years, relatively speaking in in a lot of markets, but money was dirt cheap. So there were some great opportunities in there. Mm -hmm. And so people who are complaining about, uh, just look at the price size and, oh my gosh, I can't believe these prices. Well, maybe they weren't capitalizing on the borrowing ability and how you could outperform your interest yeah. rate with almost any investment. And you could also capitalize on really advantageous refinances. Now we're going to see the opposite. Interest rates are going to be high, but it stands to reason that there's going to be some buying opportunities in there. So mm-hmm. maybe this is a time where you can get liquid, sit on some cash and wait for some really good opportunities that perhaps don't have the same 18-month payback that we've had you know, recently, but we could be having the same conversation four or seven years ago and laughing at the deals that were purchased in the second half of 2022 um, and looking back in hindsight, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's all, if you're looking at, uh, you know, the 
can I or, or I can't versus how how can I and people looking at the current market, there's always an opportunity, right? So I, it's hard to sit on cash, though, especially when you know the yeah. inflation situation. I, I totally get you. And yep. I, I it's it, that takes a lot of discipline to sit on the cash and just wait. I think there's maybe a, a portion of the portfolio that you just set aside for for that type of opportunity when it comes Um for context, what would that that example we just did rent out for the bungalow on municipal services? Uh, now, I mean, rents have come up quite a bit, but if they were doing a whole home, probably around two grand plus utilities, um, yeah. or like you're now allowed basement suites here, so almost everyone would take that if they were buying it for rental purposes. Mm-hmm. Keep the main floor probably rented for eighteen hundred, and then do a basement suite for another fifteen hundred, sort of thing, plus utilities. Okay, so if you're due to the 1800 for the plus the 1500, you'd be 3300 in rent. Uh, taxes yeah. on something like that, would that be like four grand a year, three grand a year? Roughly, roughly 4K a year, I would say, yeah. A bit more, yeah. Okay, and then insurance, we'll say 1500, maintenance yep. 5%, uh, management out there. I mean, uh, some people could self manage. I'd just leave something there. Most um, yeah. people here would locally would yeah. say 7%. Seven percent for for management if you for, wanted for, to do for it. a single okay. family yeah. like that, like it's just two unless you had a bunch of units. And then you landscaping and snow, you'd have to do that as part of the lease, or could the tenants do that? Typically, tenants can do that. Yeah, tenants would usually do that there. Okay, so then you what would that be worth? Well. As what would that be worth it when it was done? Um, I would say you'd probably get a reappraisal if you did a nice bang up job around six hundred grand, um, but definitely five fifty. Yeah, let's say more five fifty ish. Yeah. So just basically Hamilton numbers from like three years ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you'd you'd cash flow at three and a half percent thirty year am. You'd you'd cash yep. flow like two hundred bucks something like that when it's done. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So again, very much Hamilton numbers from three years ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, with uh, smaller scale rentals here, it really is about equity go- growth more than anything yeah, else. Like they don't pay cash down. flow especially well. well. Yeah, I heard Quentin D'Souza say this. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with him. Uh, very smart guy. I just realized he had a podcast. I was listening to it the other day, but he um, he basically said that you know, cash flow is not where you make your money. That's just what allows you to stay in the deal. That's that's what allows yeah. you to stay there. You yeah. know, and I've always thought that too. I never put it in those words though. Like, but I mean, six hundred bucks, five hundred bucks on a on a house or whatever. That's not going to change anyone's life. But if it keeps you in the deal in twenty years, that'll change your life. And uh, yeah. even in five, based on how things have been going lately, but. Now it looks like we're about to see the inverse. We're about to see um, probably property values come down uh, for a while now. And um, what are your thoughts on that? I'm curious. You guys have your your finger on the pulse uh, out there. What what do you see happening in the next 12 to 24 months? And how would you you know in an ideal world see yourself taking advantage of it? Yeah, I'll say so. Obviously, you're probably alluding to the fact of like just interest rates are going up. There's probably going to be some economic pullback, which is overall spending and things like that going down. Um, I think hyper locally to Halifax, we're going to see a little bit of a level off on homes in the sense that right now or previously, everything was just selling. Like, didn't matter if you had a good home, bad home, good lot, bad lot, everything just sold like craziness. Now I think there's going to be a lot more precedent on if you have a good house, it's still going to sell for great money. You you still will get competitive offers. Um, but these kind of lower quality homes, the ones that have been ill-maintained, the lot's not great or have some little issues. They're going to be more so holding their price point. They're not going to be going up as rapidly as they were um, in the previous couple of years. Um, on the rental side, I think we're going to still see a lot of growth because you're seeing a lot of people coming from other markets um, that see our rentals as a great opportunity uh, where the numbers are still pretty strong. And and at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. So even at 4% interest rate, if it all still makes sense, like there's, there's still people who are going to buy in on that and there's still a lift. Um, and so we're having a fair bit of immigration. It's still nothing compared to Ontario, but for a percentage basis of our population, it's it's growing quite fast. And so it's putting a lot of pressure on the rentals and the, the pricing. And so I think that rental pricing growth is going to continue and that'll kind of give a lot yeah. of stability and strength to our, our multi-unit side. Um, but I think the single family market will be a little bit more nuanced. It, good product is going to mean mean a lot more now than it did before. It always meant a lot, but it, but yeah. you you get away with like random crap before. Yeah, I mean, this is the funny thing is pe- people who are worried about this should maybe take a second and, and just ask. Well, did I make a good buy or a bad buy? And what does that really mean? And then when the market's going up, people think there's no such thing as a bad buy. And maybe in, in some cases th- there's not. There's enough runway there that you can kind of land any deal safely. But there is something 
to be said for the core versus big suburban sprawl because you can't replace the core. So that real estate that's really in the core, it is awfully difficult to replace that real estate. If you purchase something that is a standardized product in suburban sprawl and you overpaid for it or you paid a premium because that's what the market was at the time, you might be a little bit susceptible to a pullback. Our area here, our price point is still low enough that um, you cannot build – in a lot of cases, you can't build the new home to replace that value. So Mm -hmm. that bungalow that now trades at 450 maybe even upwards of 5 that previously was quite a bit less – yeah, that's a premium price, but you couldn't build that bungalow for it's less than for six hundred. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't build the bungalow for less than six hundred thousand. So we're going to be okay here in, in most of the area, and we don't have this big, you know, multi-directional, many-kilometer sprawl. We're still a pretty small city, but there might be instances where people bought something out of town, uh, a small semi-detached home, very generic, cookie cutter, and they paid a big price for it. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you paid five hundred for that, and you could still go out and build that for about four hundred. That could be a bit of a problem. People also view uh, this idea of a recession, which is is likely what we're we, – one would think we're going to have a, a small recession here as inherently really plummeting real estate prices. And I think it's more likely to be a, a modest correction in some markets, uh, in some kind of niche markets. But generally speaking, I think a lot of the real estate is going to remain pretty secure because – our net migration, definitely here locally, is still vastly going to outproduce our new construction starts. Sellers don't just voluntarily give up equity in their home. If they cannot get the value they want for their home, they will just not sell it. So there's some um, inelastic quality to to sales prices. So it's going to be hard to put enough pressure on those markets to really push it down, at least for us. In bigger markets, I know you see these larger ebbs and flows because they're just so mm-hmm. big. Uh, for us here, we're pretty rock solid with a couple little exceptions, and those are yeah. going to be micro cases where someone maybe didn't make a great buy. I think the last point I'm going to add too for Halifax on a local basis is we have a one of the highest percentage of government workers, and realistically during a recession, the government's not laying off a ton of people. Um, yep. They might do some cost cutting, but on average, no. Yep. And then the other thing is we have a high number of retirees, and recession's really not going to impact them that much because they've already made their money, done their work, and they're usually just chilling on the sidelines with their house paid off, um, or they're in a position that they have a fixed mm-hmm. pension where it's not really going to be impacted. And if anything, now they're not going to sell their property. So exactly. Well, now, now they're just going to hold time. on. I don't, my investments have taken a hit, so now I'm not going to sell the property, which further contracts supply. There was this misconception out there that what we had and the reason the market was going up so much was because of increased demand. And that was part of it. But the bigger issue was contracting supply. So yeah. we've done all these things to slow demand, increased interest rates, overall, you know, uh, kind of contracting fiscal policy as if demand was the big problem. The problem is and remains supply, 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 supply. So yeah. Until supply catches up significantly, mm-hmm. even with a modest recessionary pressure, I don't think we're going to see any major dips that's going to um, suddenly make housing really affordable for people in major cities. Because some people are waiting for that shoe to drop. Yeah. I don't think it's going to drop. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, they're going to – I mean, the demand curve is being pushed to the left. It's it's being It's being artificially pushed down so that – less people want to buy because they're kind of like souring the market a bit, you know, making it expensive with interest rates, um, putting taxes on foreign buyers or just, they're artificially manipulating demand down so that we can get these prices under control. Um, there's obviously a lot of factors at play here. And I'd love to talk to somebody who feels like they could have a nuanced discussion about this. And I'm not saying that you guys can, I mean, we're going to talk about this. Uh, but what precedent there is for this because in the past where there's been recessions it hasn't necessarily been paired with the supply crunch yeah so how there, does that also, play in there's also no precedent for this degree of a debtor society right mm-hmm. where you know we can't see i mean look how crazy we're going and it's been a relatively like interest rates are still pretty low in historical terms yes right yeah. and look yeah. how borderline like we're terrified <laughs> uh that you know, there were, there was someone who predicted that um, the, the the bank rate was going to reach three percent, um, and, and that would be catastrophic. It would be, um, and that's nothing compared to interest rates a couple decades ago. But the difference yeah. is, individuals and corporations run off debt now. So yeah. you can take any historical model. 
let's all be totally honest. We haven't been in this situation before, so we don't exactly know the ramifications. No. This is also why I think the BOC is is overstepping a little bit because one, I think they're a little bit late to the party on this. Two, I think that increased supply was already starting to mitigate some of the real estate landscape. And three, the impact this is going to have is going to be so far reaching in terms of people who already have mortgages. Like, it, great, you're, you're slowing down new purchases, but you're also crushing people who already have lending prod, products. Mm-hmm. Not only that, you're crushing the people that employ them. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's is weird. Yeah. Well, there is and there isn't. Like, okay, so I mean, I would say there is a precedent for our government doing something that you would say they could never do that. I mean, they did that in the last two years, <laughs> and they did that in the '80s. Ultimately, there were there were an incredible amount of people that just had to sell their homes when when rates jumped to the high teens. My yep. parents sold theirs. They they had yep. a home. They sold theirs. Uh, oh, they rented 18 percent. Yeah, probably, yeah. So right. they got yeah. they got told that the renewal would be twelve twelve and three quarters or something. The guy said, "You're in luck. The rates just dropped twelve and three quarters." <laughs> and so they sold their house. And I don't know if they lost on that. I never really dug into that with them. But they eventually bought again in a, in a few years after that. But uh, how many other people did that affect, right? And that, that was mm-hmm. devastating, right? That probably broke people, caused them to go bankrupt, anyone who's, who is highly leveraged, right? So they will. Our government has proven that they will do something like that. Now, does that mean that it's going to happen in today's day when we have way more debt, as you've pointed out, way more debt? And it's than a global economy, right? Yeah. You know, the, what's, the, what's the purpose of doing it at that, at that height at this point is my thing. Like, it's not... It didn't achieve kind. It, yeah. it temporarily achieved what they were looking for at that point in time. Well, it controlled um, the inflation situation at the time. Um, yeah, but I mean, we we didn't get the root cause of what caused the inflation, right? This is just you know a, an effective means of controlling it, I suppose. But I guess yeah. like ultimately, what we need to uh, uh, to be thinking about is you know what will they do, regardless of whether it, it makes sense. I think that they've understated inflation. I think you guys probably would would accept that. There's probably a number of reasons why they would want to understate inflation. So mm-hmm. if they really wanted to, to control it, just how much would they need to, to increase interest rates? That's the question, right? Chandler, I made this point, though, on the last one we were talking is, I don't know what caused the inflation last time in the 80s, but this time I think a lot of the inflation mm-hmm. is artificial pressure, not just like through spending, but it's also mm-hmm. through this whole logistical nightmare that we're facing around the world where everything's on back yes. order. True. So everything's kind supply. of our... It's, it's, it's a, a supply. supply. It's a big supply. Yeah, it's a big it's supply It's a big issue. supply thing. So I don't yeah. know if it's like a, like consumers are just spending like yeah. craziness or it's also a mixture of like if they can get supply chain to sort out through reduced yeah. consumer spending, which I don't think they need to get to 15% to do that, will that cause a lot more balance? Because mm-hmm. I think... There's a lot of stuff sitting that'll end up catching up, and then we'll have more than enough product that'll help to bring some of the the pricing down. And I think also a lot of people should like help. Bigger, yeah, exactly. A lot of bigger companies yeah. and things like that are starting to slow their spending because they know what's coming down the pipe. I mean, the other couple differences too is now all central banks really have to move in unison here because if you compare this to the '80s, you know, it's much more of a global economy. There's so much more at stake in terms of uh, currencies and things like that. <laughs> Neil just whispered Bitcoin randomly. <laughs> yeah. um, so. <laughs> This is, yeah, you can always draw comparisons, mm-hmm. but I do think this is pretty yeah. uncharted water. And they're also operating on this belief, the Bank of Canada believes that they can control inflation. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I think that fiscal theory, like the premise that that's based on is going to be tested like never before, because I personally don't see a slowdown, like a, a real tangible price decrease in um, in homes and how much of people's assets are you going to depreciate and hammer down before something really breaks? Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't address the supply chain issue that Neil's speaking to, I don't know that we're going to have the uh, relative impact on slowing inflation um, that we would want considering the devastating impacts that um, this rate sort of in this contracting could yeah. have. So. Well, I mean, certainly, certainly they're going to stifle economic growth, but will they control inflation? No, I don't think so, because in order to control something, you'd have to admit the truth about it. It's like Alcoholics Anonymous. First, you got to admit you have a problem. Well, until they admit the real inflation of what it actually is, they have no hope of, of controlling it. And uh, my belief is that we've, we've been experiencing, you know, five plus percent inflation this whole time, just not accurate reporting of it. And that's why. Um, oh, yeah. Well, that's yeah. Why, All the things yeah. that aren't. 
in the consumer price index. Exactly. Like yeah, level, we'll just right? we'll like, just leave that one out because it's volatile. No, you should yeah, include like, it regardless yeah. of it being volatile. <laughs> like who's we, really like making their spending decisions right now and who's really like, you know what the issue is? The cost of milk and corn. <laughs> I feel like that's what's kind of yeah. my basket of goods. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. My rent, my car payment, none of that matters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's it's an interesting discussion and, and we're all trying to navigate, right? Like how do we how do we turn this into a money making experience? Which I love talking about this with you guys because you're obviously very knowledgeable you're you know yeah you your finger on the pulse um yeah just to recap i definitely think you know there's many different layers to this supply issue there's the, also the lack of labor pushing prices back up is that no one seems to want to work right now general labor is hard to find skilled trades mm. are lesser so as you pointed out cost of construction not likely going down unless we see a major drop in demand stimulated by a market correction who knows i, I will say though um, because of how extreme and how quick our economy moves compared to past years. I mean, it used to take years and years to come out of things like pandemics and little recessions and stuff. Things happen so quickly now. Mm-hmm. I'm optimistic because there's going to be another, you know, 50 point interest mm-hmm. rate hike in June by, by all accounts. Um, which by the way, if you go back two years, they promised that they were going to hold it low until the end of 2023. But what happened <laughs> is, Things went they the recovery out of the pandemic yeah. happened while the pandemic was still going on, right? So things are moving so quickly that I'm optimistic that um, the repercussions with that they want to bring about, which is you know to to hammer on asset wealth, are going to come quickly. And so by third quarter, they might realize that they turned the knob a little mm-hmm. too much, too too fast, and maybe yep. in some cases. Um, you know, not as much needed as, as they thought. Uh, and then I think we'll see Q3, Q4, um, the rates come back down yeah. a little bit. Um, the question is going to be, will it impact these tradespeople enough? Like once they start losing these jobs, cause that's starting to happen here. This was like, <laughs> start, starts are going to get canceled. Uh, people aren't going to go ahead with projects and the tradespeople, they get one project canceled. They don't care. They got four more lined up. But mm-hmm. when the second and third also cancel, all of a sudden they only have yeah. one lined up. And hopefully that brings some of that pricing down because the ironic thing is CMHC has had this mandate of improved uh, borrowing options to facilitate really quick uh, construction, affordable construction that can mm-hmm. be, you know, we, we were lined up to have um, a new start boom like never seen before in the country. Mm-hmm. And then the rates get jacked up and and it no longer makes sense. Those same Mm -hmm. projects uh, become untenable. So the left hand isn't talking to the right hand. And um, now we have conflicting forces acting on Mm -hmm. the housing market. I I think the two things – go ahead, sorry. No, I was just saying conflicting forces like across the board. Like there's there's just market forces on both sides of this. That's why it's so hard to figure out where things will land. Well, that's another thing, like where they have so many items to try and cool the housing market, but on the flip side, they're cranking immigration through the roof, yeah. um, which is just maybe not necessarily forcing the direct housing market because they're not buying exactly right when they land. Um, but then they're filling up all of our rentals and then they're pushing a lot of people to buy yeah. homes and convert them into rentals because they can get higher rates yeah. uh, to fill them with people immigrating here, which I think it's amazing to, to bring as many people as you can here. But it, it's the same concept of it's in, it's conflicting because it, it has an inflationary pressure on everything and predominantly housing. Um, and so it's like it's weird that they're they're saying all these things on one end and then they're doing that. Um, the other thing to kind of what we were saying earlier about how much quicker things change now, like back in the 80s, they do keep cranking up those rates. But the way that that information was spilled to everybody would take a while. Nowadays, they make a half point. Uh, crank up and the internet instantly blows up everybody knows yeah. and everybody starts getting concerned and like yeah. the second you open anything there's gonna be a hundred headlines from a bunch of people who independently are saying that things are going down and so everyone gets hesitant like here we had a half yeah. point in- interest increase and instantly within a week you could feel the market shift mm-hmm. like it wasn't like it took two months for this thing to slowly slow down this was like one day it was going, the next day it slowed down and changed. And it's still going, but it's just a very different pace. And every one of our clients is informed. It's not like we're telling them, like, hey, just a heads up. They're coming to us being like, yo, things have changed. Yeah, and here we are in May, and we have to realize that by by most consensus, the, the peak of the frenzy when money was low, emotions were high, um, supply was low, and all these things was in February. So was that March, April? Now we're here barely into May, and everyone's like, the sky is falling. Like it's, it's been a pretty quick <laughs> yeah. adjustment um, in, a, in a short matter 
uh, of time. And this is the other thing people need to keep some perspective. Like everyone has recency bias. Yes, the rates are high compared to what they were six months ago, but historically they're low. Um, you know, so I think also we're very yeah. hyper focused on major markets. Um, you know, our city here and, and there's a lot of places in the country where real estate prices haven't been going up. In fact, yeah. you know, they're just barely recovering from some really all time lows over the last five years. So we, we, we kind of have to go through the weeds and realize that it's not all going to slice down the same yeah. way. Keep this in mind. And it might be an opportunity for you guys, but getting a place in the country around here is like, it's a pipe dream for most people. It's so expensive to get property with land. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you could still do that there, um, you know, if, if, you know, you guys are like the three year, four year behind us kind of train, um, you know, that might be an indication that that's an opportunity. Not saying it is, but I mean, I would be keen on that if I were in your location, just knowing how Hobby hard farms? it is here. <laughs> Hobby farms. Yeah. Like my wife and I are fortunate mm-hmm. enough. We're, we're moving out to the country just outside of Burlington for a price that we would never have been able to get under normal circumstances. Um, but you know, you just pay millions of dollars if you're going to get something that has like an acre and a house. Yeah. So this was back even into like the nineties, there were real estate, um, speculators, investors, uh, thought leaders, if you will, um, who were talking about Dartmouth, this area that's across the water Mm -hmm. from, from Halifax. And they couldn't believe how cheap the real estate was because you're right across the bridge from the biggest city east of Montreal. Um, you, you know, it's known as the city of lakes because you can't turn around to Dartmouth without hitting a lake. And you're about a 15-minute drive to probably the best surfing in Canada, like on the ocean, while all being near a major airport, industrial parks, commercial centers, hospitals, public sector. Um, so we hear – have always undervalued our real estate. And most recently, the thing that we've really missed the boat on, speaking as locals, is yeah. the, the the waterfront properties. Because there you was, can drive any little direction mm-hmm. and you could be on the ocean and there'll be years be like, oh, you know, you could be on the ocean for like 400 grand. Mm-hmm. And there was townhomes last year in the city on the ocean for like 299. Yeah. Which was that? Eastern Passage. Oh yeah, and now and like, a golf course across the street. Yeah, and and <laughs> people who have come from other provinces, you know, say from Ontario, they're like it blows their mind. So what skyrocketed? I mean, everything went up, but during the pandemic, when people were thinking about you know what quality of life they wanted, maybe they want to move back east. What would that look like? What could they get? They were stunned that they could be on beautiful boating lakes. Like we have some of these lakes that you know have Olympics and things or, or Olympic level paddling on, uh, or just the raw ocean yeah. for, for less than a million bucks. It, it blew their mind. Yeah. And then they promptly drove the price up so that they're now north of a million bucks. Right. And I see, I see that as such an opportunity looking at markets. When you come from a high per- price market, one of the best advantages that you have is being able to see what just what people will pay for. And then yeah. you can take that experience to markets that haven't yet got there and apply that wisdom mm-hmm. and find out that you're right a lot of the time. Not always, but, um, you know, that, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm, I'm investing south of the border and in uh, Cape Coral, Florida. And I just saw like, you know, I always say oh, nice. water flows to the lowest point. Like these prices, they're just too affordable compared to home for me. So I just it made a ton of sense to put money down there. Because well, here's, I look at the, yeah. the surrounding areas and how expensive they are. And I'm like, you know, eventually when, when t- times get tough, people will look for cheaper places to live. And this this area won't be affected as much in a downturn. Well, exactly. Florida's the, the second fastest growing state, I think, in the last two years. Yeah. And one of their arguments is that they're also less taxed. So they've become, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a very hey, affordable man. place to live relative to a lot of the rest of the country. Because this is the other thing. And Neil and I have talked about this a little bit. But we're all in a battle, like as areas of the world, increasingly used to be as areas of your province or areas of your country, but as areas of the world, we're all competing for people. And they're used to this idea is like, yeah, but we're making more people all the time. Not anymore. Like the, the, <laughs> the population of the world is about to peak, peak out, out and start going down and then start going down because birth rates are down Like people aren't having as many children. And already as provinces, we notice that uh, how a province does is directly correlated um to its net migration Mm -hmm. and yes there's a chicken and egg type scenario though like the economy is doing well people Mm -hmm. go there but also people go there and the economy starts doing well yeah well you spend money right it's not hard to to put that math together right it's not rocket science we're all competing for the same people and increasingly that's internationally Mm -hmm. um so 
now all these governments are going to have to really look at their policies as they relate to, you know, does this make our area more enticing for people to move there or less enticing for yeah. people to move there? We just had some uh, a lot of news here in Nova Scotia because there was a proposed additional like significant 2% property tax for non like Oda province, non-resident yeah. buyers purchasing here in Nova Scotia. And they ended up walking it back and it was a bad idea for a bunch of reasons, but it sent a really clear message to the rest of the country that we don't necessarily want you investing in Nova Scotia, mm. which the reason Nova Scotia has gone through this really nice run is because we were very pro net migration. We were really strongly encouraging our young people who had left to other provinces to come back. We were including uh, really promoting international migration and we had aggressive population targets and we've been doing great. And that's been part of what's driving our economy. So we had this little moment where the government almost turned that on its head and sent a giant message to everyone that we don't want you coming here. We don't want you investing here. Mm -hmm. It was a big mistake and they walked it back. Yeah, that's, that's good that they did. I mean, in the current system, you're right. Like you, you have to have people coming there, spending more, paying more taxes seems to be the way, the way that every state wants it, every province wants it. And, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right about Florida. That's a, that's a huge thing. Interesting point about Ontario, single biggest, uh, quarter, I think, for people leaving since like mm. 1970 when the other Trudeau was in power. So I guess, uh, <laughs> not saying there's a correlation. <laughs> it just so happens. Uh, <laughs> just so happens to be. Uh, Trudeau. Yeah, it's, uh, that's not great, right? I mean, one of the interesting considerations is will we see, um, a potential souring of, um, you know, the carrot that draws in immigrants here, you know, when, when it's a lot less affordable, I've heard as far as tech goes, it's getting a lot harder to bring people here because of how expensive it is now when they can go to Silicon Valley and, and earn more. Uh, no, of course not. Maybe not for where you guys are. Cause you guys uh, are in a much more affordable space. I I think a lot of people end up coming here, not just like, I understand the affordability. It's oddly enough. I think there's also a draw for when things are more expensive, uh, I think for international markets in some ways, for some people, obviously they don't, they don't, they don't want to be able to like, if you can't afford to live or if it's un, unattainable, it is terrible, but there's a weird thing that when things are more expensive, people, there's a draw there. But I think Canada as a whole, it's a safety thing. Like when I travel around the world and I see the different places, like Canada is so stable and safe in comparison to a lot of parts mm-hmm. of the country. We have a great healthcare system, even in comparison to the States that's available to everybody. Um, I think those draws, which I, we all gripe about are, are high taxes but they will still have a major draw for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, it might not be as large as some of these places that have the no taxes, but I, I still think that there's a lot of people who will respect that. And I think internationally too, Canada is more renowned for its openness to multiculturalism um, and having everybody here and kind of being open and having the idea that you can be who you want to be here mm-hmm. versus some of the other places. I find some of these no tax states, will do really well for the mixture of like the the 1% group that really wants to get there for the the actual incentive mm-hmm. and then there's also another group of I'd say lower lower income uh people that are going uh, hoping that it's almost like they're servicing what's what's there and then also hoping to make some sort of savings on it but I don't think it really impacts mm-hmm. them ben- in a, in a true benefit because they end up spending a lot more on things like healthcare or public services that they would have gotten in a state that might offer or in a place that may require yeah. more taxes yeah, but there's definitely still some draws here for sure. Um, I'm just curious. Yeah, we have 400,000 target for immigrants. Do we continue to hit that or potentially maybe we fall shy? Interesting. Yeah, and, and our if education you, if you think, too. Like you're sort of implying, all right, it's, you know, people were maybe for a while substituting the Toronto area for other locations based on affordability. And then mm-hmm. maybe now it's like they viewed Silicon Valley as, you know, relatively the same cost or, or, you know, in terms of real spending power cheaper. Mm-hmm. And then now all those companies are moving to Florida, Florida. So what does that say? Yeah. It's not like each one of those is growing independently. Um, they're actually kind of stealing people from different yeah. regions. Yeah. And that speaks to this issue that our population numbers and, and all we're doing by migrating all these people in are effectively taking them from other places. So yeah, those exactly. other countries are worse off for not having that human capital. Mm-hmm. And um, we need, I think it's going to be a really interesting thing when populations start declining and we realize that as major markets, we cannot solely rely on bringing in more people every yeah. single year because it's not going yeah. to happen. I think uh, one last thing too for Toronto, I think a lot, of, I hear this from so many people that immigrate to Atlantic Canada 
is they want to be in a big city. Like they're usually leaving an enormous city of like 20 million people and they just need like that environment. And then they show up in a place like Halifax, which is like a decent city, but like it's very small and like, there's just not enough pulse here. Like I just, I've, I've grown up and lived in a massive city my whole life. I need to be in a big, big city center. And I feel like there's a big draw for a lot of people on that one. And mm-hmm. it, there is a different yeah. energy. Like when you go to New York, you go to Toronto, you, you go to Vancouver, in those places, it's a different energy. And I, I can totally see what people, if you, that's all you know, it's really hard to leave that and go to a smaller community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they can be really, it can be really fun, Toronto. So yeah. 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 Sure. This is why people here have been really resistant to this change because you can see like Halifax used to have this thing of, uh, we're city, but we still feel like a town. Like that sounded <laughs> great. And, and for people who are already here, you know, that was fine. Yeah. And Danny, people who had, their wealth and and you know we're already living in the town best folk. locations of, of town um but for new people they're like no two things one uh, i want to be this to be a city city and two in order for me to make my way here it's going to need development right mm-hmm. because i am getting here uh, a full generation after you know you guys all bought your homes so there's this old guard who wants health act to stay the exact same mm-hmm. and the new guard or people saying, well, one, we need places to live, we, but we also need things to do, and we, we need to make money. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that exists all over. But with our demographics here in Nova Scotia, where we have one of the oldest populations, you really notice that. We might have yeah. the oldest population, actually, in the country. Yeah, I think we do. Um, you really notice that generational divide by what people prioritize and what they envision for the city yeah. moving forward. You more old guard or new guard? I'm right in between. <laughs> 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 um Okay, so this has been really cool. We've obviously just talked about markets and, and you know, Halifax and Canada in general. And I, that was a much needed discussion for this podcast, I, I find. Um, but I would like to just do a quick, you know, what are you excited about right now? So Chandler, start with you, project you're working on. Tell me something you're excited about and give me a little bit about it. Okay, uh, so right now I'm totally renovating a six unit um, and an eight unit. So they are, you know, 80% vacant right now, redoing them stem to stern. Uh, And then I'm about to close on another 12 unit, which will be the same process. So that'll be whatever, 26 units kind of in a four to five month span that'll all be renovated and re-rented. I closed on a small development site in a secondary market down the South Shore, which I'm kind of bullish on that area. And then I'm kind of trying to navigate through uh, a new build of, of 60 units. So I'm excited about all those, but I am going to make a quick little plug because we're still not super savvy with these things. We should have mentioned off the top, our podcast is called Master Keys Real Estate Podcast. Uh, and we're super <laughs> yes. pumped about that because it is growing. Um, you know, we, We've started to really gain some traction and we're excited about building this community uh, so that's what I'm really fired about. Check it out. Master keys. Yeah. I was going to ask yeah. you to confirm the name, but we were going to get to that, <laughs> but that's, that's good. Um, just quick, quick, uh, dig in on that real quick price per unit. Yeah. What do you, what's your average price per unit of acquisition? Um, let's see. So I'm oh, I, I, I gotta, they're all over the place, right? This market is really nuanced. Yeah. Uh, I got a smoking deal on the six unit where I paid, what did I pay for that? I paid a hundred a door for large two bedrooms oh, okay. in decent condition. Like, that was a, okay. a really good deal. Um, I got a mediocre deal on the eight unit where I paid <laughs> one twenty a door for one bedrooms. Um, but you know, like a, a, a good building. And then I paid one forty a deal for one mm-hmm. bedrooms and bachelors. Uh, on the 12 unit, but it's in a yeah. really marquee location. So, you know, kind of in the one to one forty yeah. range per door. And are you buying at like a, a three cap, four cap, five cap? Like where were you typically buying if you were to- I mean, those would be closer to three than it like, yeah, they're, they're, they're really old rents that were, weren't up to date. And yeah, you, you have, have rent control yeah. there, I'm assuming. Uh, so we are the proud new owners of rent control in Nova Scotia. <laughs> uh, yeah supposedly 2%. temporary never going to be temporary uh we're stifled at at two percent right now which um is really challenging in this inflationary yeah. market better than um, our 1.2 yeah like that's disgusting that, that makes insane. no sense um but these yeah, are gonna be, it no no not at all yeah these are gonna be instances where the units will be vacated completely renovated and i'll start fresh so i'll at least be at market rent so i'll have a, a, yeah, a good base yeah. to start from yeah. 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 So at that point, when you when you work it back out, will you be more like a six or a seven seven cap based on what you have into it? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pro- probably six and a half based on what I yeah, have into it. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll refinance and it'll probably cap out five and a half or five. Yeah, low fives. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I just asked these questions because I don't have time to go through the full no, numbers totally. with you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. So, Neil, yeah. tell me something. What are you excited about right now? Deals you're working on? Yeah. Deals wise. <laughs> Deals wise, I uh, I just closed on a six, and before that, I closed on like a nineteen unit. Um, I have seven different buildings under rental right now: a bunch of sixes, a twelve, and the nineteen. Um, it's a mixture of getting people out and vacating them, and then also just the amount of work that they needed. I had some enviro issues in, in some of them, but uh, I, I'm excited to get them all done and be in a place where I'm starting to get into development. Similar to what Chandler said, I have a couple land plays that I'm working on, and so we're going through the permitting mm-hmm. process, which similar to Ontario takes a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm getting close to the finish line on a few of them. So I'm hoping to finish up all those old buildings, pull that money forward, and get into new construction where I can add some units. Yeah, to give you some acquisition numbers, like the six units I started buying around 60 a door about two years ago. Uh, the most recent one I closed was about 105 a door. The 19 unit was in a much better location, close to university. I paid 140 a door, which was a smoking deal on that. But like, to be honest, I'm looking at one now for probably about 185 a door and it's about 20 units. So it, it's, it's quickly rising. But on the flip side, then looking at the build cost, we're looking at building for around 325 a door plus minus, for depending sure. mm-hmm. on what kind of finishes, yeah. if not 350 a door. So it's hard to stomach buying these at these higher prices, knowing that I've paid 60, 70, 90 a door before in the past. Yeah. Um, and now, and now having to pay double, but I'm like, well, even if I pay 180 a door, sink in 40 a door, I'm only into it for two, 220, 230. And it's going to rent for probably about 85% of what that brand new one would. Okay. Um, so there's still that opportunity. And similar to what he said, you end up buying them on like two and three caps. Like they're just massive down payments. But then you're, you're getting money in, you're probably six and a half. And then you're actually getting a refi at around five and a quarter. Okay. Yeah. So you're able to do perfect burrs out there, get, get all your money out or most of it. In, yeah, yeah, it's always been like that up until I'd say this year. We're starting to see the deals, especially the ones that come yeah. on MLS, where there's not the opportunity to pull all your money out. Mm-hmm. But if you still find a good deal off market, you can you can get yeah. all your money back. But that'll also remain to be seen because yeah. you know some of these refis. Like I just went through my my forecast here, and my goal is to have the eight unit refied end of September, and the six unit refied end of October. I don't know what you know boring rates are going to look like at that point, and. Mm-hmm. That has pressure you know, it's, on the it's, cap it's, rates. It's not going to stand up to a CMHC eighty five fifteen. You know, yeah. like, I, I just don't think the the, the bank is going to lend on that, regardless of what my appraisal says. Yeah, that's gonna gonna create some challenges. It's going to be an interesting landscape. We're going to have to navigate as we see what happens there. But as we discussed in this episode, I think that we're going to see rates go up for a while. We're going to see the economic impact, and then a little bit of a correct course. That's my prediction. Who knows? Grain of salt with that one. Uh, we'll we'll find out at the end of the day. But where do we send send people if they want to follow you guys? Or you know, should we send them to your personal Instagram pages? Or do you want them just going to the podcast? How how would you like people to to reach out to you if you would like that? Both, to be honest, uh, would be would be great. We check both of our our personal DMs. You know, it's at T Chan at Remax Neil, and then but realistically, check check out the podcast at Master Keys Podcast. Um, that's that's where we're gonna be posting all of our clips, and there'll be all the links there to go through to uh, Apple Music or Spotify to listen to the podcast, and it's also uh, on YouTube. Yeah, and we cover a lot of stuff like yeah. politics, the crypto space, a little bit, just everything that's going on. It's not exclusively real estate, but that's that's kind of the tilt we come at it with because that's where where we come from, and and uh, we try to just be really transparent about what we're up to and, and share any, you know, any ideas and any things we've learned over the years. Very cool. Well, yeah, I mean, I get the, uh, the impression you guys like to talk about a lot of different stuff and that's why we had such a great discussion here today. So I appreciate it. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. I'll see you on the next one.